Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Brian Volkweiss is the founding president of Comedy Dynamics, which grew out of New Wave Entertainment to become the largest independent stand-up comedy production and distribution company. You see the Comedy Dynamics logo on almost every new stand-up special you see these days, no matter where you see it. Since 2016, his company also has produced series such as History's Join or Die with Craig Ferguson, Animal Planet's Animal Nation with Anthony Anderson, and There's Johnny, which started at CISO and ended up at Hulu. I caught up with Brian in his offices in Burbank, California, a few days before the Grammy Awards, where he had an 80% chance of being responsible for the Grammy-winning Best Comedy Album of 2017. So let's get to it! I feel like it's June already. You feel like it's June and it's only January, oh, Brian? Crazy uh, 19 days or 18 days. Well, it's... I mean, you're you're at the center of the comedy boom, are you not? I am part of that center, apparently, but uh, <laughs> certainly not here alone. Do people call you BVW? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Feel feel free. <laughs> feel free. I like that. We are we are with Brian uh, at uh, Comedy Dynamics, uh, which grew out of New Wave Entertainment. Brian is the president and is responsible for probably most of the comedy specials you've seen in the last couple of years. Hello, <laughs> how how are you, America, or the world? And uh, thanks for for uh, letting me visit. I know. Thank you for being. I interested. know you said your 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 wife is about to give birth to your third number three. Yeah, number your third three child. Yeah. So uh, I hope she's not mad at you for being another half hour late. She'll uh, <laughs> she'll be all right. I uh, I got the greatest wife ever, so uh, she'll be all right. Okay. Now, how many comedy babies do you have? Um, and, define and, comedy, baby. Uh, well, you have some records on the wall and posters. Like, if you thought of each product as a baby, each each thing that you put out into the world. I mean, yeah. I mean, there. How many all, do you think you have at this point? I mean, I think we've made a little bit over a hundred and seventy, not including series. Okay. So, just we've made about a hundred and seventy-one or a hundred and seventy-two. One off hours, mm-hmm. um, and I will. I know we'll break two hundred this year for sure. Um, I think that's we not did, counting albums that weren't video. No, that doesn't include albums wow. in, in the slightest. Um, you know, we release between like fifty and eighty albums a year uh, for at least the last five years, maybe more. Um, and back to your question, which was a great question. Um, there, they they really are all to a certain degree. Babies, um, uh, my baby. Like I, there. When you make a special, you know you're very intimately involved with the with the artist and with everything. You know, we had three launch calls today, and um, it every call was different. Mm-hmm. But by the way, you know one thing all those calls had in common: uh, they all started late. Uh, But, um, you know, three very different artists Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, one of the artists uh, was very sleepy He had been out all night Uh, One of the artists, uh, literally my ribs hurt I was laughing so hard Uh, And the other artist we've worked with many times And it was about four and a half minute call Because we know each other so well And um, they were, every single one of them was different But you know, you really, you know, the other thing about making a special is, which I don't think everybody realizes, um, is on a, you know, some specials, you know, I see them seven, eight times. And you, I mean, there are certain specials you see 14, 15, 16 times. We just delivered a special somewhere that, I mean, I think we got to eight, the eighth or ninth cut. So I saw it at least eight or nine times. And then there's color correction. We had a lot of issues with the color correction. The artist wanted a lot of things. So I didn't see it. You know, I saw two full color passes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, probably about another 
seven or eight times I pop my head in the bay to look at the color, but it's really intimate, man. Like you really, uh, you know, there's certain acts. I mean, I know probably 80% verbatim just because I've seen them so many times. And I would say even some of those specials came out five, six years ago, but you're so intimate making them that, and I'm so in awe of probably 98% of the artists we work with that, um, I mean, it really becomes like a science or a hobby just seeing how these guys, uh, which I mean is guys and girls, uh, you know, put their work together. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like, it's almost like I'm a, I mean, I really feel like I turned a hobby into a job. And I, even though I've been doing it a while, I still, I mean, I, Dimitri Martin was here today. I mean, I, it's the second time we've worked with him. Mm-hmm. I still can't believe he was here today. I mean, I really can't. Like, I can't believe I get to work with Dimitri Martin. Yeah. And since since you, you know, just mentioned having watched some of these specials so many times, which means that you probably watch even more comedy than I do. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, just counting, like, how many times you might watch a particular. Oh, minute for minute, maybe. You watch more. Yeah. Though, I mean, I watch almost everything that gets made. I mean... I think I saw every special on Netflix last year that um, was in English language. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I watch everything. Do you do you feel like you've lost the capacity to laugh? I know you said you laughed out loud on one of the calls today. Uh, uh, quite so a bit. Um, here's what I'll say. I have not lost the the ability to laugh or find that in which we're working on funny. But one thing that I definitely um, have always uh, recognized about myself, um, and a lot of this also comes from, you know, as you know, of all people, I used to be a manager for a long time. You know, I managed for 10 years. And one of the things that I learned being a manager, one of the most important things that I learned was, you know, I would represent somebody who their ticket sales were quadrupling two years in a row. You know, 2003, they would sell 500 tickets in Denver. Mm -hmm. 2004, they would sell 2,300 tickets in Denver. 2005, they would sell 7,500 tickets in Denver. So I knew, and then every city, I'm just using Denver as an example. So, you know, I would have a front row seat to knowing America likes my client. And I would make these phone calls to the various networks and say, so-and-so is blowing up, so-and-so is blowing up. And 99% of the time, they wouldn't believe me, (laughs) and they'd miss the opportunity to work with the artist. Mm -hmm. Then the artist would blow up, and somebody they could have gotten for ten grand an episode, they ended up having to pay a quarter million an episode. But I was telling them, Years earlier sometimes. So what I learned from that was it, it's not always about what makes me laugh. Like there are some artists I have insane respect for. I love them as human beings. I socialize with some of them. But like if I was a dentist in Oklahoma, would I pay 30 bucks a ticket and get a babysitter to go see them? Maybe not. But... And this is, like I said, this is what I learned from being a manager. I have to respect the artist. And equally important, um, I have to respect the public. So it's not just about what makes me laugh. It's about what the public likes and what the artist, how they have owned their craft. And it's my job many times to facilitate that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's not just about what makes me laugh. But the other thing I would say, another artist who I was texting with today, um, who's one of my favorite comedians of all time, um, and, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, to put it mildly, but, you know, his manager called me today. Yeah, this guy, you know, probably can only sell about 200 tickets at the most Mm -hmm. a night. He's been doing it a long time, like 20 years. But I love him. So basically at the club level. Yeah, barely, by the way, barely. Hmm. And um, I love him to death. His manager called me. I'm like, I'm in. Because he makes me laugh. And I feel very blessed 
that I'm in a position where I get that call. First of all, I can't believe, I still can't believe I get that call. I still vividly remember having to call that same manager five, six years ago, three times a week, just to get him to call me back about anything. Mm -hmm. So I feel very blessed that it's an incoming call now, A, and B, I love that I can just say yes, and we can make a special with this guy. So sometimes it's for me and who makes me laugh, and sometimes, many times, it's for the public and for the artist, because I respect that which they do. Now, I know... We've had this discussion before, but not into microphones. Mm. The first time I remember knowing who you are slash were <laughs> was when you got out of a limo inside oh, no. Boston Garden yeah. with Dane Cook. Yeah. The night that you guys taped Vicious Circle for HBO. Two sold-out shows, 20,000 tickets each, and it was pandemonium. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, who's this tall drink of water <laughs> who seems to have Dane's ear and, and is not Barry Katz? <laughs> who's this guy? Yeah, oh, yeah. His Brian. Okay. Yeah. Keep an eye on that guy. Yeah. Um, well, I, I am proud to report I, uh, uh, the, I don't think I've been in a limo in, in 10 years. <laughs> may, may, at least five. Mm-hmm. At least five. Um, so... I guess I have two. I have two different lines of questionings here. Yeah. One is at that time, were you just okay with being in management? Did you have all of these other goals at the time? First of all, um, it's two questions, so I'll answer them both yeah. separately. I loved being a manager. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Um, there, there. It's a tough job. I mean, I cannot stress to you enough how tough it is. It's probably one of the most tough jobs in the world. Um, and I, I don't I, I truly don't think anybody can appreciate how hard it is to be a manager unless you've managed. And when I say managed, I mean your ability to pay rent or your mortgage is dependent on your ability to sign, keep, and develop clients. Um, I enjoyed it very much. There are parts of it I still miss to this day. I the greatest thing in the world. Um, was when you sign somebody and you help get them their first TV appearance. I mean, there there was nothing like it, nothing like being in the green room and this kid you found uh, and had never been on TV before that you're working with and you're sitting there at Conan or Kimmel or Kilbourne at the time. Right. Uh, I did a lot of Kilbourne. I broke a lot of people on Kilbourne. Who was is, who is the first experience that you had that with? It was, I believe, I'm curious to see if you know who it is, Jerry D. Yeah. It was Jerry D. He's still big in Canada. He's huge in Canada. He's got the show where he's the gym teacher. Yeah. Jerry D. used to do Mr. this joke. D. If he hears this, he's not going to even believe that I remember this and that I still find it funny, man. Mm-hmm. Still find it funny. And this might explain to you why it doesn't matter what makes me laugh. <laughs> but uh, he used to do this joke about being a teacher. And uh, this was, you know, this was 20 years ago almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, uh, people would have pagers and they would spell out uh, boobless on their pagers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It was just so stupid. <laughs> but it just made me laugh. It always made me laugh. It's making me laugh now. And I, I, yeah, I definitely got him on Kilborn. I'm 99% sure that's the first guy I helped do that with. Yeah. And you're yeah. sitting there in the green room at CBS, great. CBS Television. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you're going, I'm getting this kid on TV. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I was so young and new at that time. Right. Anybody would have felt the way I did. But 10 years later, you know, I'd already produced TV shows and movies and done a lot of things. It's still was the greatest thing in the world when I could do that and be a part of that. So that was the, that's the first answer to your question. The second answer to your question is, yeah, I mean, I always knew I would not be a manager my entire career. Okay. So, um, I always, you know, we were always producing simultaneously with managing and, uh, we produced for our clients. We produced without our clients and I always loved producing and yeah, so okay. it was going on concurrently. All right. So the second line of questioning is, uh, 
let's presume the uh, ticket example you gave was for Dane. The ticket example. Of the quadrupling? He was one of them, for sure. He was absolutely one of them, yeah. I was his path. Yeah, absolutely. His path was even crazier than that. He went from selling... I'm making this up because it was a long time ago, but I mean, he he went from selling 200 tickets in Denver one year to 4,000 tickets the next year. To this is over five shows, mind you, but um, to like 8,000. I mean, he. Well, I remember seeing him at the Tempe Improv one year, and then it was just a couple years, and then it was maybe a year or two after that that he was playing thousands of people in colleges, and then it was, and then it was suddenly arenas. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. It happens a lot now. Like, Ali Wong, mm-hmm. I mean, her numbers are, her trajectory in terms of ticket sales is, you know, that, that a year later, Tiffany Haddish did it. So, but back then, yeah, that's people what I, forget when Dane did The Garden, in the round, by the way, I always yeah. like to point that out. Dane doesn't get enough credit for that. Dane did The Garden in the round. So a lot of people do the garden. Dane did it with like twenty percent more people, right? Because you than can most. fill because you're not blocking any of yeah. that. Yeah, I saw Rihanna at the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. I mean, she must have had forty percent blocked off behind her. I mean, it was literally like wow. I mean, like who are you trying to? You're not sold out. Although I'd much rather see Rihanna. To be <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, well, sorry. Pick Did, whatever the hottest comic is today. I would rather see Rihanna. There you go. But that's just me. There you go. I, I'm a fan too. Um, Riri. But what was so since you were there? Yeah. Was there a singular moment where Dane broke? There was a billion moments that led up to him breaking. Mm-hmm. But do you want me to tell you when I noticed it? Yeah. Uh, and again, dude, I barely remember what happened yesterday. I remember this story I'm about to tell you like it was an hour ago, and this was almost 13 years ago. So Dane had his first album come out, which was called Harmful If Swallowed. Mm -hmm. And for years, we would get copies of it, and I I would be on the phone with executives and TV, movies, whatever, and I'm like... Dane Cook is the best. Dane Cook is the best. I'll send you the CD. And I'm sending CDs every day, sometimes two a day, five days a week. Dane Cook, Dane Cook. Then Retaliation hadn't come out yet, but we had advanced copies. Okay. And I started sending those out to, uh, to people. And I'm doing this for years. And one day... I'm on the phone with someone. I don't remember who it is. Oh, I do remember who it is. He worked at DreamWorks. Okay. He was a guy named John Fox, who used to be at DreamWorks. Okay. I think that was his name. I mean, there's Something a couple of Fox. John Foxes in comedy, so I'm not no, to he be wasn't confused with them. No, no, no. Wasn't a comedian. And um, I was talking to him, and I'm going on and on and on. And I go, I go, dude, you're going to love it. I, 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 I'm going to send you the CD today. I'm going to messenger it to you. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I got it. And I go... Oh, did did Barry send it to you? He goes, who's Barry? I go, well, how'd you get it? I mean, literally, like, where, where could he have gotten it? Right. He goes, like, I'm an idiot or crazy. He goes, well, I uh, went to a store and bought it. And that is the moment I knew. Like, all of those phone calls, people either didn't know who he was or they had kind of heard of him but didn't really know who he was. This guy, with his 18 bucks, went to a Tower Records mm-hmm. or whatever and bought the album. And that, literally, that was the moment I'm like, all right, we got a ball game. And I would say Retaliation came out probably less than four or five months after that. I don't know if you remember this or not, but that's what blew Dane up. Yeah, I was working at the Boston Herald at the time, so yeah, I remember he- I talked to him that week because... It was the first at that time. It was the first comedy album to to launch in the top five since Steve Martin. It was number four. Yeah, he sold eighty eight thousand copies that first week, and he was right behind Mariah Carey, who just had a new album come out, and she was in the second week. And I mean, there's a great expression I heard, a great story I heard a long time. Ah, eh, you know what? Never mind. 
it's too long and boring. But anyway, it it will. And I did, oh, you want to hear another great story about that? Sure. So that was the moment where in my head, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. it's begun. But another moment, and the real moment where I'm like, whoa, shit's about to get crazy. I can curse, right? Yeah. All right. You did. Um, <laughs> well, you can bleep it out, and I'll stop cursing if I can't curse. But No, you're fine. Dude, I also remember this like it was a week ago. We used to have staff meetings. I think it was Tuesday. So funny, dude. So many parts of the story I'm going to talk about. Like, I might as well be talking about, like, like steam engines and, and uh, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, other outdated technology that doesn't exist anymore. Like, so many parts of the story don't even exist anymore. But if I remember correctly, the story takes place on a Tuesday. So we used to have a regular staff meeting on Tuesdays. And you go to the staff meeting, you're in the staff meeting, and I would get out of the staff meeting, I'd go back to my desk, and this was, back in the day, there you, you used to get a little piece of white paper that looked like a receipt mm-hmm. when you missed a phone call. Oh, right. Those books. Yeah. With the carbon copy. While copper. you were out. Yeah. Yeah. So, for years, I would go to the staff meeting, and I would get out of the staff meeting, and it was early. It was like 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I would have between zero and maybe on a crazy day, uh, I would have uh, you know, maybe five missed calls. Usually it was between zero and three missed calls. So I get out of the staff meeting. I get to my desk. I'm looking at my emails. This was before Blackberries, I think. And no, it wasn't before Blackberries, but whatever. I'm checking my emails. And I suddenly see on my desk a pile almost half an inch thick of those missed call receipt things to the point where I'm like, someone's fucking with me. And I start looking and oh, and I'm on the phone. Mm -hmm. I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone with somebody. I see the receipts and I start going through them. And it's just like, again, it was a list of people that I used to have to call two, three, four times to get one phone call returned. And they had all called me within like a 58-minute period. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm on a phone. And, dude, it was, out of, it was out of a movie. The only way back then that you could get the numbers for sales was in Billboard. And I see in my inbox, Billboard is sitting in there. So I'm on the phone. I'm on I get billboard, I open it, and there it is. 88,000 units. Number four, behind Mariah Carey. And that was it. Though in that bunch of missed calls was employee of the month, what would become vicious circle, Mm -hmm. what would become to orgasm. All those receipts were like... We had been trying to get employee of the month going for years, (laughs) years, at least two years. And dude, I am telling you, that was like, I mean, we were shooting employee of the month, like I think four or five months after that, maybe less. Yeah. Everything hit warp speed. Right. So you're trying to develop all of this stuff and then just because the album sold so well, he has a deal for to be a lead leading man in a yep. movie, and a double HBO deal, a series yeah. and a special. Yeah. How much of that, you know, all of the stories that I remember at the time, dealt with the power of MySpace. Huh. In that, how much of that is? I I'm gonna say something. How much were you guys paying attention to MySpace? A lot. We were paying attention to a a lot. Okay. And I just want to be very clear about this. Dane was paying attention to it. I was very involved because I was listening to what Dane was saying. Mm-hmm. And I, could, I was there. I saw what he was doing. But it was all Dane. Like, this wasn't me being like, dude, we got to take I, the, the, MySpace seriously. Mm-hmm. Dane took it seriously. Dane got it. But I will say this. And I know 
You might laugh when you hear this. You might make fun of me. Other people might make fun of me. Um, and I, I have no reason to lie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I have no reason to lie. To put it mildly, I have no reason to lie. Um, I don't think it does justice to Dane. I don't think it's fair to Dane to give the credit to MySpace. Regardless of what people would think of him later, mm-hmm. Retal- Harmful If Swallowed is one of the best albums of all time. And you want to make fun of him. You want to say he had no jokes. You want to say he stole jokes, which he didn't at all. I had a front row seat to all of that. That guy did not steal jokes. But I will tell you, he, I, I was all over the country with him. Before he blew up, this guy and and what the entire population of the United States in fifty states is wrong and <laughs> stupid? No, he was funny. Yeah, and you know I love Bill Hicks. I worship Bill Hicks. I I am one of my biggest sad things in life is that I never even saw him, let alone met him. Bill Hicks died young. You know a lot of people love JFK. I mean, I guarantee you, if he was not assassinated, he would not be viewed as well as he is. So Dane went on, and I, I listen, I will admit Dane's later albums and later specials were not as great as the original ones, the first the two. the ones that you were involved in. No, I was involved. I was involved with almost, I, I think to this day, I don't know if Dane's put out an album since I produced, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But mm-hmm. if he has, I think only one. Mm-hmm. So to this day, I've produced at least, I'd say, 75% of his albums. Okay. I think. Like I said, let's, we could Google it right now. But anyway, um, he was funny. He was brilliant. He was fucking hysterical. And that's why he blew up. He would have blown up without MySpace. So I, I never... And I've seen him talk about this. He fully gives credit to MySpace. He loves talking about how he was an internet pioneer. And he was an internet pioneer. I'm not taking away from the fact that he was an internet pioneer. He was. But there were lots of other people doing what Dane was doing, and they didn't blow up because they weren't funny and they weren't as talented as he was. That's my opinion. I don't know if he would agree with me or not, but that's my opinion. No, I, I mean, worked with him because I, I thought he was brilliant. I was there for Fish's Circle. I he was a rock star. Yeah, in that special. Yeah, every time that he stopped to catch his breath, that entire Boston Garden Arena just filled the silence with roars. In the round. Yeah, in, in the, the round. round. In the round. I'm there in a screenshot. Ha! I made the cut. Nice. Well, I was sitting in the aisle when he ran up the aisle to to catch up with the drunk guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. He ran up my aisle, so oh I'm my in the God. aisle. That's fantastic. Anyhow, I forgot about that. Um, well, speaking of internet people, uh, I also wanted to ask you about Stevie Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was yeah. that was that your first TV project, or had you been involved in other TV stuff before? No, we've done a fair amount uh, before that. I just warn you, it's it's hard to talk about. So, well, uh, I, I know that's why. I, yeah, if I uh, get emotional, uh, I apologize. But it's hard to talk about. I, I. I see, uh, you know, in December, I saw this whole list of people who died, you know, in 2017, like Bill Paxton. And I just, I I met Bill Paxton. I'd hung out with Bill Paxton a whole bunch. So I clicked on the article and I saw Stevie was there. And dude, I still can't believe it's real. I still can't believe it. I, I, I don't believe it. Like, I feel like if I called her right now, she'd answer the phone. It's so crazy. What was what was the decision-making process to even try to pitch a show with her? Dude, she was brilliant. But, I mean, how did – was she a client already? No. Or, okay. No, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy story. You might not even believe me. You could Google it, though. Okay. So – we produced a show uh, called called Pretty Wild. Yeah. Okay. You'll remember the show because it's the show that while we were shooting the pilot, 
uh, the cops kicked down the door and arrested one of our leads. And it turned out that she was a part of this group that was robbing celebrities. That's pretty good. Oh, Sophia yeah. Coppola went That's and made a wild. movie about yeah. it called The Bling Ring. Yeah. So we ended up getting the show on the air mm-hmm. on E! And Stevie was making uh, internet videos in her garage and down the street. And her thing was spoofing reality TV. So she uh, saw the show, Mm -hmm. was obsessed with the show, and she did a spoof of the show. little two-minute video she made in her garage. We loved it. We reached out to her, and we made a sales tape with her. We shot a whole little tape with her, took a bunch of meetings, got a bunch of offers, not just one, um, and did the deal with VH1. I think... Uh, I think we went with VH1 because they guaranteed a pilot and nobody else did. Okay. But we had multiple offers. It, you don't see that. You see that once every five to ten years. Somebody that talented. Well, it's not just somebody that talented, but somebody that talented who didn't have that much of a background or that she much. Had no background. Right. Yeah. So you're taking someone into these pitch meetings with no, like, numbers. But we do that with, all with the no, time. Like, I mean, I'm used to that. I mean, we do that all the time. When we did Ali Wong's special, mm-hmm. literally I landed, I'm heading there, and I got a call from one of the most respected people in all of stand-up comedy. He's an agent or a manager. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. One of the most respected, revered people. And we're talking about some business, and then he's like, where are you? And I go, I'm in a taxi heading to the blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, who are you shooting? I go, Ali Wong. And he goes... You know you can say no, right? <laughs> so I'm used to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to go with your gut. Right. Yeah. But at the time of Stevie, there weren't a lot of YouTube successes yet, were there? I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Cause I, it's a good cause question. I remember writing about it. I don't, I don't remember there being that many at that point. I mean, Bo Burnham had already become a star, but he wasn't trying to do... But he hadn't become a TV star. He hadn't done his MTV series at yeah. that point. Yeah. He was a guy who was able to sell records based on that. Yeah. Based on his YouTube A lot videos. of records. But, but I don't remember. And then there was another one, Lisa Nova. Oh, my God. Who made YouTube wow. videos. And then she got on Mad TV. Yeah. And then she was only on Mad TV for like six episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less than a season. That's so, right. That's right. Forgot I'm about her. Think of, I'm trying to think of the time. Because I didn't even look this up before talking to you. So, yeah. But at the time of Stevie, I don't know that there were that many who were getting their own. I didn't look at it that way because I didn't look at it that way. Uh, there was a video of her mm-hmm. doing a dead-on spoof of a show I produced. And that's all I knew. Like, it wasn't. Oh, blah, 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 It wasn't, blah. this is going viral. Or no, this is- it wasn't going viral. I mean, she was doing okay. She mm-hmm. wasn't doing great. Um, but it was just raw talent. Just raw. I mean, she was brilliant. When we did the show, there were time, many times where we'd give her a script and she'd be like, I don't even know who this is. And she'd watch YouTube videos of that person for a couple hours mm-hmm. and then have a dead-on impression. I mean, it was a banana. I, I've never seen anything like it. Probably uh, will never again, the, actually. The other thing I remember about that time and with her is that VH1 wasn't really in the comedy business. Yeah, that's also kind of our specialty people haven't caught on to. <laughs> like, you know, we brought Craig Ferguson to History Channel. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, yeah. That Anthony thing. Anderson to Animal Planet. Exactly. So, yeah. So that that's kind of our, our MO. Yeah. <laughs> it's to introduce... To bring comedy to places to, that to aren't channels that aren't yeah. used to it. I mean, we haven't done a show with Comedy Central in over ten years. So to put that in perspective, so yeah, I mean, we're usually bringing comedy to places that haven't done it. So is that intentional or is that just... no? No, well, certainly, I'd I'd love to do a show there. How long did the Stevie project? Two go? seasons. Two seasons. Yep. Was it ultimate success or failure based on the numbers? Or yes. Okay. Yep. Always is. There's always a, oh, what about this? What? No. Did people watch or not watch mm-hmm. versus how much did it cost to make the show versus how much marketing, how many advertisers could you get for that show and how much were they willing to pay? 
Did VH1 give enough support? Yes, to it? they supported so it, wasn't it. A matter of no. Season one, they supported it relentlessly. Okay, they did a huge push. Uh, one of the biggest pushes I've ever seen um, at the time, in particular. They were great. They were absolutely great. They really believed in her. They really believed in the show. Honestly, they probably shouldn't have picked it up again. But Jeff Old, who was running VH1 at the time, Jeff Old really believed in her. And he really wanted to will it into a success. And he, he tried. And then it did really it did even worse season two. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't even... Like when they made the decision, it wasn't... Easy. 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 Yeah. At what point did you decide... Did you and the company decide that making records and specials was going to start to become the bread and butter and that you'd need to create new companies for it even? Uh, I read a book that Jack Vaughn gave me. Um, Jack Vaughn has been on the podcast. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I want to hear that. Yeah. Oh, when was that? Uh, you'll have to look it up. Like a year ago? Yeah, it was about a year ago. Oh, I want to hear that. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Uh, it's the greatest thing in the world, hearing people you know well do <laughs> interviews. Because um, you know the truth. Yeah, yeah, but you also, it's just funny. Uh, like, I'm sure my friends will hear this if they hear it and just be like, oh, Brian's, uh, Brian's thinking too hard. Um, Jack gave me a book uh, called The Long Tail. You mm-hmm. ever hear of it? Is that one of those... Uh is that by the same guy who did 10,000 Hours? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Um, the guy who Not wrote it uh, was the editor for Wired Magazine. Okay. And um, short book, less than 250 pages long. But the long tail is like a theory. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. About And the creativity. important thing about the book is uh, I think I read it in 2009. It's funny. I just was looking at my copy of it. And I, I, I always write the day I finish reading a book in the front of it. Okay. And I was, sh- no, I read it in 2006. Okay. I read it in 2006. Now, keep in mind with what I'm about to say. The iPhone came out in 07. Yes. YouTube came out, I think, in 04. So YouTube was barely three years old yeah. or two years old when I read this book. Mm-hmm. And what the book said was the book says a lot, but the thing that I took away from the book was the era of unlimited shelf space was coming. And what that meant was before digital became digital, when you were a record company or whatever, it was all about distribution. Right. The hard piece was distribution. The insurmountable piece was distribution. Right, whether it's a CD or DVD. Anything. Or an, To this right. day. Or book. To right. this day, you can even see Tesla struggling with their distribution issues because the other car companies have put pressure on all the state governments to make it illegal for Tesla to sell cars in malls. So what you see here in California is legal because Tesla's from here and has a lot of power in California. But it is illegal for Tesla to sell cars and malls in Texas, for example. Hmm. And that's, it's a distribution issue. So what the book said – so basically, when I, right before I read the book, the way the world existed was if you were Walmart or you were Tower Records or you were whatever – There was finite shelf space. So if your job at Walmart was to pick what was going on the shelves, you you needed to have the thing that would sell the most amount. Because if you're being shipped CDs and they don't sell, you're losing money from something that could have sold. But also... Um, you got to ship them back, and that costs a lot of money. Or you got to destroy them, and that costs money. So, if you're the booker at Walmart, you're getting Britney Spears. You're getting... Right, it's a lot of top 40. But what the book told me years before it happened, at least five years before it happened, maybe whatever, the book told me that is ending. And what's coming is the end of distribution as we know it, and it's going to be about digital 
And it wasn't called digital when I read the book. It doesn't call it digital in the book. It calls it something else. But what we now refer to as digital. Streaming on demand. It, no, that those terms didn't right. exist yet. But that's what we yeah. have now. So what we now have, that's what the book said was coming. And I bet everything on the book being right. And the book was right. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason, you know, Netflix going from DVDs to streaming to making their own original content to make to spending eight billion dollars on original content in 12 months means <laughs> means there's a lot of they can have as many comedy specials as they feel like yeah yeah exactly which means you can make as many as they'll take or well, more. as many as they'll take but you can it's make really about as many as, as, many as the public will take right so you know we shot um but um you know, we just shot six specials with these 90s icons, Tom Arnold, Louis Anderson, Rita Rudner, you know. I don't know if Netflix or Comedy Central or HBO is going to buy all of them. If I had to guess, they're not. But yeah, there's CISO's still, not taking them. Uh, I got to tell you, man, it was funny, it's funny you say that. I just today was saying to myself, it's almost a dream. What CISO was doing. Like, they never said no to me. I mean, they never did. They bought everything I had to sell. Yeah. So the fact that in 2017, there was a company with real money, and I call and be like, I got a new Brody Stevens uh, stand-up special. Mm -hmm. And they were like, great, we'll take it. Like, it was really amazing. I mean, it was really amazing. It, uh, I miss them. I miss CISO. Well, I mean, at least, you know, you have a poster of There's Johnny on the wall. Yeah. At least you were able to f eventually find a home for that. Because One that was a project that started as CISO and then oh, CISO yeah. went under before yeah. it came out. And One of the greatest moments of my life, of my career, uh, was when we found out Hulu was taking it. I loved the show. And for that not to have been seen would have really depressed me. So you made, so you just said you made, you just made six specials with 90s icons, mm -hmm. and, but you don't know where they're going to go. Not yet, no. We're in the process of taking them out to market and seeing if anybody wants it. I hope they do. Now, I asked you about this for a print article last year, but now that's a year later. <laughs> is your perspective any different on whether the comedy boom can be unlimited? Or is there a bubble for this to burst? I don't know what I said to you last year. Like I said, I don't know what Is it like that long yesterday. tail theory that, well, there's infinite, we can make specials no, for everybody? No, it's not that. It's not the long tail thing. There's no bubble. Basically, what has happened, and I give full credit to Netflix and in particular Ted Sarandos doing this, they turned a niche into a genre. So there's always been comedy. There's always been drama. There's been unscripted and scripted and horror, sci-fi, fantasy. Ted Sarandos and Netflix literally willed stand-up comedy into a genre, a genre that exists on its own that is the same way there's for, – for 50 years, there's been millions of people who love horror. They're horror fans. They go to every horror movie. That never existed for stand-up, and now it does. And that was because of the volume and the quality of the specials that, um, that Netflix was doing. HBO was doing great work, but they were making three a year. Right. Netflix, as you know now, is making like, I don't know, a lot. Almost um, one a week. Yeah. Well, they're still on that pace if you count international. Yeah. Because they've expanded to international stand-ups so they so not just north america they made a genre so what i've been saying for a while and i may have said this to you already or not on this topic but you know when i was a kid in my lunchroom at high school let's say there was a thousand kids in there did i say this to you before i don't know let's say there was a thousand kids in that lunchroom mm -hmm. when i was in the eighth grade it really was just me into stand-up. And I wasn't even that much into stand-up. Like, I love Bill Cosby and Eddie Murphy. 
But no one really wanted to talk to me about that. <laughs> Maybe my best friend would right. humor me or whatever, but dude, now you go to that same school, you're in that same room, same thousand people. Guarantee you, every day you'll have between ten and forty people talking about stand up comedy. And that's that is what's changed. And it's not gonna get undone. Like even if Netflix stopped making stand-up, at, totally. Let's say tomorrow they're like, yeah, you know, we're done. Right. It still wouldn't change the fact that, at least in the United States, but I would argue this is more than a local phenomenon, um, it, it is now imprinted on people's brain that stand-up is something you can do in your free time. Is there a, is there a worry, though, like with what happened with the, the comedy boom of the 80s, that part of the reason that busted was too many people were being propelled who didn't have enough quality material. Is there a same risk here? I don't think where so. Where too many people are getting ours. I, but I got to be honest with you. I wasn't around for the 80s. I mean, I was alive. Well, we're both young. We're yeah. both still young men. But I, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's, that's what happened. I think that the club's overbuilt mm -hmm. without the support they needed to exist. So, well, I took that to mean from a quality, from a talent standpoint where what? comedians who were doing Caroline's Comedy Hour or any evening at the Improv and were doing five minutes didn't have another 45 minutes to back it up. But that even before the newest boom with Netflix and everything, mm -hmm. that never made sense to me because – it, it, just think about it. It's like if you're an aircraft carrier, but you don't have planes, what's your purpose of existing? You're just a giant target. Mm -hmm. If you're a comedy club in New York, and there's always been two comedy clubs, and then there's four, and then there's eight, and then there's 16, and then there's 32 – but it's still just ABC, NBC, and CBS. What's supporting the boom? Nothing. So it, it, that's the difference. Now there's Netflix. Now Showtime is trying to do one a week. Mm -hmm. There was CISO for a beautiful, glorious <laughs> 17 months. Um, so that's what's changed. And okay. there's YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's the other big difference that – I'm positive that's what happened in the 80s. They overbuilt. They're like there was a, a three people blew up at the Robin Williams. And it was like, woo! Mm -hmm. And then too many people made comedy clubs. So it became like a ghost town. There weren't enough. There's just They overbuilt. Yeah. yeah. They got the math wrong. To use your analogy, it's like they thought there was a lot of oil. So they built three hotels and they built yada, yada, yada. And then it turned out that is only an eighth as much as we thought. Okay. And then how are you going to support three hotels? You could barely support one hotel. The other major difference is YouTube and social media. There was no YouTube or social media in the 80s, obviously. But the contribution, in addition to what Netflix has done, what the contribution that Facebook and YouTube have done is basically, and this is what I also uh, am a huge believer in why stand-up is now a genre and not just a fringy thing, if you're not into stand-up comedy and someone says to you, dude, you got to check out Tom Segura or dude, you got to check out Eliza Schlesinger. You're like, yeah, you know, I'm not really into stand-up. I don't know if I'm going to give an hour of my life to some dude I never heard of. So, I, yeah. But that's how it was forever. Then YouTube and social media comes around. Now, you don't have to blindly give Tom Segura an hour of your life because of YouTube and Facebook you can give them three minutes of your life and you're like fuck this guy's funny let me Google Tom Segura whoa there's 80 clips then you watch six or seven of those clips equaling now probably about 30 minutes you're like this is fantastic then you hear some out social media whatever yeah. hey he's in town I can go see him I can go pay for him you go see him, you love him, he's great, he's funnier in person than he is on YouTube. Then Netflix is doing a special. Then Netflix is doing another special. So there's no boom, there's no bust, there's no bubble. There's just different infrastructure 
that's supporting the market. That nothing like it existed in the eighties. And you're not worried about that infrastructure failing at some point. How could it fail? I'm asking you. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, YouTube's not going to go away. Uh, Facebook's not going to go away. I don't think Netflix is ever going to go away. So, yeah, how could okay. it go away? Um, I know you said you had to go. I guess. I guess the question I might have for you then is because comedy is so subjective, getting back to your, like, your comedy babies, how do you pick the favorites? How would you pick your favorite babies out of the 170 that you've made? I mean, I... I how, who would you give the award to uh, each well, year? I'll take who, the fifth on that. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's, I mean, I could definitely... I wouldn't do it maybe when I'm retired, but, uh, I mean, I could rank... The specials I've made in order. There'd probably be a fair amount of people tied for first place and mm-hmm. tied for second place. Um, but as someone who, at the beginning of this interview, said you watched every single special that came out yeah. last year, how much do you think that the awards people get it right in terms of the nominees? Uh, I mean, the, I'm, I, I'm one of the awards people for the Grammys. I get to vote. Listen, I'll say this. It's gotten better. Retaliation, Dane's mm-hmm. the big thing that blew him up that we were talking about. A, it didn't even get nominated, so it sure as hell didn't win. The year he didn't win, where he was eligible, mm-hmm. Rick Moranis won. <laughs> I didn't even know he had a comedy album. And he, he and I, I love Rick Moranis. I'm not making fun of him, but he... The day it was announced who the nominees were, mm-hmm. and Dane wasn't on the list for the biggest sales in history. To this day, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Of a comedy album. Uh, of a stand-up album mm-hmm. to this day. No, that's not true. The next one broke it. Okay. But Dane still holds those records. Mm-hmm. That day, when I read Rick Moranis was one of the nominees, I went to SoundScan. He had sold... 98 copies. He had literally not even sold 100 albums. And not only did he get nominated, he won. So, yeah, it's gotten a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I look forward to talking to you next year. Thank you. And we can see how comedy is doing then. We'll see how I did. My (laughs) predictions. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.